Welcome to the Christ and Classics podcast, where we consider the classics in light of the Christ. I'm Colton Moore. And I'm Devin Wilkins. And this is episode one. One. Take three or four. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. All right. Well, um, yeah, Christ and Classics podcast. So this is a uh, a new a new thing that we've decided to do, and um, hot off the press. <laughs> right. Reading the classics in life, <laughs> right? And um, we just thought we'd have an introductory episode where we kind of lay out what we're doing, or what we plan to do, or hope to do, and uh, who we are, and. Um, why we think this will be a fun little little thing to do. Um, who, yes. Who are you? Um, like existentially. No, no, no. Just, <laughs> just who are you? I am a high school and middle school, middle school and high school educator currently. Teaching literature. A little bit of Spanish as well. Hopefully some Latin in the future. And uh, I am your friend, Devin. Hey. Yeah. I'm your friend as well. I am in Oklahoma teaching. I'm not teaching. I wish I was teaching. You know that? I wish I was teaching. Uh, I am in Oklahoma working for the family business, but you and I met while in seminary. That's right. That's right. We met up north in Minnesota, Midwest, at Bethlehem College and Seminary. We spent four years together in every single class. Almost. Where it's always winter. Almost never Christmas. <laughs> I don't know. I I, I thoroughly enjoyed um, the the Minnesota winters. It, I I prefer them. I prefer their winters much more than I do the Texas summers. They're wretched. These summers yeah. are. Although their summers are filled with mosquitoes. Ours oh. are too, but their mosquitoes are or like birds, small sparrows. <laughs> oh yes, the the state bird of Minnesota, the mosquito, <laughs> as they say. Yeah, and so we met at Bethlehem College Seminary, and um, our friendship really centered around not not mainly like theology and the classes we were taking so much as it did our side gig. (laughs) At the time, (laughs) we we were both TAs for the undergrad program, which is a a liberal arts program, Mm -hmm. and um, you were teaching uh, literature and philosophy and humanities, and I was uh, for the mainly the juniors and seniors, and I was. Doing uh, English grammar for um, the freshmen, doing a little bit of Old Testament and Greek substitutions, um, mm-hmm. or s- substituting for those classes, uh, tag teaming it with our good buddy Keith. Keith, if you're watching or listening, mm-hmm. we love you. And I tag teamed with Tom. Ah, yes. Me and me and Tom and Colton and Keith. That's right. That's right. Maybe we'll bring him on someday. Yeah. His appearances. Yeah, and so like our friendship, um, you and and Keith as well were, were the ones who really got my mind and uh um spinning around classical christian education uh, especially mm-hmm. being at the liberal arts college there in, in uh, at bethlehem mm-hmm. and um yeah we we met through education that's true that's true um while i was or while we were there at, at bethlehem uh, we got a lot of opportunity to teach in the college um, while we were in the seminary. We were teaching in the college, which was just a blast. Mm. Um, 
And it was really, I don't know how you, how you think about it, Colton, but it was, for me, it was an opportunity to flex some of my St. John's muscles. I went mm. to St. John's college in Annapolis while I was teaching high school literature up there. And, uh, St. John's is famous for, uh, or infamous? No, they're famous for. Nearly <laughs> <laughs> uh, went the other direction there. <laughs> <laughs> infamous. <laughs> infamous? Infamous? <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're famous for uh, their approach to education. Uh, they have a great books program, and their classes are governed by. Uh, questions that tutors raise and it's really unlike anything else uh, that you would see in kind of the the standard fair university and since Bethlehem was uh, claiming to be a to have a great books program uh, and and to be yeah to be true I mean we that's that is what we were after uh, but when I got to write my own courses, or my own course anyway, I taught one as an adjunct. It was a thrill because mm. I got to build out mm. that course just like I wanted. Um, you know, we're governing our class with a, an opening question and we're staying immersed in the text. We're always asking about uh, the, the, the so what question about the gospel and I, I loved it. And yeah, I'll, I'll never forget mm -hmm. seeing those, particularly the juniors at the time, mm -hmm. um, coming out of your classroom with uh, Dostoevsky's uh, The Brothers Karamazov. And I, I, I remember one particular guy's face. He's like, that was awesome. And just the, <laughs> really. And, and then the, and then for the, them, all of them just to sit it, uh, in the in the student lounge with their books and talk about your class and the and the readings that you've assigned is just I was like man I need to get around Devin more often and then I would teach I would do English grammar tutoring <laughs> up there in that student lounge and and like for like thirty minutes at a time and you'd come back to me and say man you're such a great grammar teacher and and then I was like I don't know how we got on the topic of it but I was like um, Devin if you teach me more about classical Christian education and teach me books. Uh, I'll teach you how to read music because my undergrads in music education and you wanted to read music yeah, at the time. That's right. That's right. And <laughs> I still want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> we never, we never got around to it. Never got around to it. I guess but. you're a better student than I am because I didn't really figure out music <laughs> much to my chagrin. <laughs> well, so we obviously are taking our, um, our air quote mission statement or tagline from Bethlehem they're, because they're, their undergrad um, uh, statement is that they, if I can get it right, they are reading the great books and a lot of the greatest book for the sake of the great commission. So there's that great, greatest, and great commission. And we're just saying we're reading the great books and a lot of the greatest book through the lens of the gospel. Or we could mm. call it something like reading the classics in light of Christ. Oh, um, that's good. Yeah, I think that that's what you Let's wrote. trademark that. Those are your words. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so this episode is mainly just talking about that. What do we mean by uh, great books? And what do we mean by reading these books 
through the lens of the greatest book. So let's just take it one at a time. What do you think? Yeah, let's break it down. What's what is a great book? Um, yeah, well, it's synonymous, I would think, with classics and or maybe old books if you're if you're taking the C.S. Lewis approach. But um, you had a there was someone at at Bethlehem that that gave criteria for a great book. You want to lay those out there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was really helpful um, in, in uh, giving me some categories for um, criteria, categories of criteria for it, uh, a, Did a she great give book. you these categories when you TA'd for her? Oh, or? no, no, actually they, um, they had like a, a year ago, they had these online, uh, oh, yeah. little seminars that were free via right. Zoom, and one was one was on literature, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to that one," right. and uh, she led it, and it was phenomenal. I still have notes for it, and I and, and the lessons that I took from that I, I employ in my classroom now. Um, nice. I thought it was I thought it was great, and so she said that a great book is great because one, it raises deep anthropological and moral questions, like what mm. is a human being, what is morality, justice, right, wrong. Secondly, yeah. a great book is great in that it's it uh, it's beautiful. It arrests our attention in terms of poetry or rhetoric or um um yeah, poetic description. It has some sort of aesthetic bearing to it that appeals to our um oh gosh, I was just talking about this with my 11th graders today. Um like What's the word, Devin? Like it, it, it appeals to this side of what it means to be a human, to love beauty and to marvel and just to sit back and just wonder mm-hmm. At, mm-hmm. at something and not to do anything in, 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 um, in particular, but just to sit and to, and to watch quietly, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So, so that'd be the second category. And the third or second uh, criterion. And so the third criterion is that it has or it has had significant influence on later generations it has been read Mm -hmm. not only for generations and generations and generations centuries and millennia but um it has influenced uh generations across centuries and across uh, and across millennium um it's and so in that way it stood the test of time um and it's a force to be reckoned with if you if you're not going to include it in some sort of um uh, literature curriculum Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, there is a yeah. lot of disagreement on what should be included versus what should, but you know I think folks are. You can go to the St. John's website and they they've got their lists, or Mortimer yeah. J. Adler's got lists. I mean, there's a whole lot of lists out there, but you can you can generally find um, kind of the main, you know, the main books. Uh, you'll you'll get a sense real quick um, after doing a Google search. Find yeah. some uh, some great ones. Yeah, and so the books that we're going to be um, reading through, discussing on this podcast, it are ones that we think have at least these three criteria. And mm-hmm. I, I'd imagine there's other ways that we can uh, define and, and determine what a great book is. But yeah. I, I really like this um, this schema. You, you you said earlier that these mm-hmm. first two reasons kind of lead to. The third one. So like a book that yeah. raises deep uh, questions about what it means to be human, um, mm-hmm. 
a book that conveys just immense beauty that that arrests your attention is necessarily going to influence um, the masses across generations. So one, two, and three. And uh, I think that's really mm-hmm. helpful of, of thinking about as well. Yeah. And, and putting it in uh, classical Christianese, mm. <clears throat> there's a, <laughs> we, <laughs> there's, we, we often speak of the good, the true and the beautiful. And number one, there raises a deep anthropological and moral uh, raises deep anthropological and moral questions. That's the good and the true or actually turned around um, the true and the good. And then the aesthetic bearing, the beautiful, right? And uh, the long-term impact that those have on the, uh, the greater conversation, cultural conversation, uh, is the third um, resulting in influence. So yeah, yeah. So I think, I think it covers it all. Yeah, yeah. These are the books we're going to be reading, and so okay. So we're reading them, but what does it mean? What do we mean by reading them in light of the Bible, or through the uh, through the lens of the gospel, or reading them in light of Christ, or or what does it mean to read them in a Christian manner? Especially mm-hmm. if a lot of these books are, quite frankly, pagan books. They're they're written by Greeks and Romans, and um, mm-hmm. and and, um, and who aren't necessarily Christians or weren't necessarily um, faithful to um, Yahweh uh, before Christ. So, right. so I guess it's a two, it's a twofold question. I guess the first question is, well, how can we even read these pagan books? Um, because we're going to, especially since we're going to start with one, the Iliad. <laughs> and how do we read them as a Christian? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I, I would think. Notice well, that I'm be- putting all the pressure on you by I asked the question. And you- <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sensei. Yes, it's time for me to be a good student. Um, I didn't learn music, so now I must, I must uh, sit at your feet. Um yeah, so what does it mean to read a great book in light of the Bible? Uh, I think the the three criteria you mentioned earlier, uh, which could be summarized in, well, is, does this book uh, present us with uh, that which is good or true, beautiful, and um, has it endured across the ages? Well, it can only do that. It can only participate in the good, the true, the beautiful um, by God's common grace, right? That these things are part and parcel of what it means to be made in God's image, uh, to be those who have capacity for the good, the true, and the beautiful. Um, And so as humans... Uh, made in God's image, albeit fallen, we can expect the best of those, uh, you know, made in God's image, albeit fallen uh, works of literature. We can expect the best of them to have something worth paying attention to, to uh, have something, uh, even if in in parts uh, that we we can appreciate. Um, now, thankfully, time has taken care of mm. 
yeah. most of the bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't, we don't have to read the junk uh, of way back then that, you know, you still have to put up with today because uh, time has not done its work on contemporary literature yet. Right. Right. But, but yeah, just by virtue of being made in God's image, uh, we all as humans um, can say things that are good, true and beautiful. Um, and I, I believe Augustine uh, alludes to this. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, I, it doesn't matter to me. I, I, yeah, he he mentions at the at the tail end of his second book in On Christian Teaching, he mentions uh, well that he concludes that book with talking about how extra biblical uh, materials necessarily enhance and are crucial to our biblical interpretation, and he, and he goes uh, in a wide variety of places. And when he gets to the philosophy section. Uh, he's he, he talked about plundering the Egyptians, and he uses this the whole idea of uh, Israel taking Egyptian gold and using that after they've been delivered to create the materials for the temple for the offerings and the sacrifices. And Augustine mm-hmm. uses that and makes a makes a, a comparison. And he says, well. There's real gold in these extra-biblical resources that we take and use for our Christian purposes. And um, because man is made in the image of God and knows um, the truth about God, as Romans 1 will tell us, we can expect to find Mm -hmm. truth, gold, maybe disfigured gold or gold fragments here and there in um, old pagan books. but there is gold there to be plundered. And we want to plunder that gold in uh, the great mm-hmm. books. And, and, and uh, the great books make it easy. They're great for a reason, because they've got lots of gold there to, to mine and to, to dig up. There's gold in them hills. <laughs> That's right. And, and so um, to that effect, we're going to start with, uh, in the next episode, Homer's Iliad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which you're teaching and, right now. I, I am teaching that right now. I taught it uh, last year to the who did I teach it to? Oh, to the ninth graders last year. I'm teaching it again mm. to my ninth graders this year. And then it occurred it occurred to me last week that my eleventh graders mm-hmm. have not like because I'm, I'm new to the school that I'm teaching at. It's my second year here. My eleventh graders have not yet read the Iliad. Some of them have read the Odyssey, mm. but most of them or all of them have never read the Iliad. And I said, "Well, guys, you're about to graduate." And so we're going to read the Iliad and Odyssey in the spring. So I get to go through this book, these these epics, yet again in the spring, and I am stoked. I'm so excited oh, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out, so, eleven graders. Yes. I know it. I know it. They're going to be. Hopefully, I can get them. Uh, if we keep this thing going, hopefully, I can get them to listen to it, and that can be like homework for them, and they'll give us mm. feedback. And so, yeah, yeah, we'll work yeah, on that. Would be awesome. Well, you're Egyptians. talking about plundering yeah. the Egyptians. There's gold in them books. <laughs> Golden them old books. Um, there's some gold, boy. Colton, question for you: Does it mean that uh, if there's gold in them hills, does it mean that we'll always find like a Christ figure? Uh, should should we expect? Uh, yeah, should should it be that clear every time? Or what what are we? Yeah, looking for I I like that question because it relates to how we how we read the Old Testament too. 
Um, we, dealt, we, we dealt with this a lot whenever we were in our preaching class in seminary, Devin. If you remember, there was a, mm. often a question like, we're, we're preaching the Old Testament? Uh, you got to somehow make a, uh, um, make a step toward the gospel, and, and you should. But does that always mean we're going to find an explicit Messiah, Christ, who sacrifices himself on behalf of others? And we could ask that question, and we are asking that question for the great books. And the answer is, no, not always. Sometimes you will when it's really obvious, especially I think it's more obvious kind of toward the, the end of the Iliad and especially um, when we get into the, to the Odyssey. Mm. Um, and even more so when we get to these classics, or I would, I would consider them modern day classics with like Lewis and Tolkien, who are Christians, or mm. who were Christians when they wrote. Yeah. But it's not always going to be there. And so um, there will be aspects of virtue and gold that we take um, from these these ancient authors, but it necess- but it won't always necessarily be uh, a Christ like figure that we're taking. Often, actually, all the time, it will it will be though. We're mm-hmm. we're evaluating this book through biblical principles um, uh, that guide our interpretation of the book. Now, um, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but. Um, mm. We all we're always in this podcast going to do our very best to read the classics on their own terms first. We want to hear what these authors have to say before we make any sort of Christian evaluation or appropriation of them. Right. That's just a. It's, yeah. a, it's just a. It's like communication one hundred and one. Like you got to listen, listen to the person. <laughs> right. Yep. 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 It's like a our marriage counseling class that we took. Right. <laughs> really? I, I tell people all the time that marriage counseling class helped me read books better than, better than mm. our exegesis courses in, oh. in, in many, in many respects. <laughs> well, oh, no, well, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, like connecting this whole idea of like letting the text speak for itself with letting mm-hmm. your spouse or your friend or your sibling or your mother or, or father speak for themselves before you speak. Like yep. that's, that's huge. And if then you can, paraphrase it. Oh, oh, yes. And oh. then you may ask a question. Oh. Yeah. 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 You uh, can really get somewhere. Um, so, all right, let's, let's pull this together. So it's, we're, we're looking for gold. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always mean there's a Christ figure, but it does mean that there can be maybe I don't know if you like this language or not, Colton. I think maybe you said that you you don't prefer it. And if you don't, then this is your chance to... Uh, Scrap it and forward. re-record the whole first episode. <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> For real. <laughs> uh, no, but... Um, but, you know, common grace... Ah. Uh, like, there... The, by virtue of being made in God's image, there's common grace that is kind of bestowed on all people in a Romans one sense. Um, and we are looking for, for that in particular. And, you know, I think, yeah, eventually we'll, we'll, we'll find the Christ figures, but yeah, we don't have to find them every time, but I think we can always get to the, well, they're yearning for something true yeah. here, or they're yearning for something about what it means to be human here, or um, just the beauty of that passage 
points to something greater, yeah. you know? And so we're, we're pulling on those strings and hoping that, um, yeah, at the end we find the gospel. Yeah. Fair enough. And yeah, yeah, that, I think that's great. I think that's great. And it completely, I think coheres with Paul's description of the Athenians uh, and those of the past yeah. who were, um, feeling their way towards God, he says in Acts 17, right. uh, searching for something greater, larger, fuller than what um, they were, they, uh, than what they had. Um, and, I mean, we're going to talk about it. We see this in the Greek pantheon. I mean, this, mm. the gods of Greek mythology are no better, morally speaking, than than the men. They're just as debauched and... Uh, wicked and 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 licentious mm-hmm. and sinful, and not only that, but Zeus, who's supposed to be the ruler of the gods, he's not even in control of everything. <laughs> it's like, what? What is this? Anyway, yeah. The only, yeah. The, the one thing it's it's like they're no better. In some ways, they're worse because they never die. <laughs> <laughs> right. At least That's we know so Agamemnon's going to kick the bucket eventually. You know. <laughs> That's funny. I've never thought of that. And they don't die. It's like, oh gosh, <laughs> can't get rid of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh man, we're getting ahead of myself. So many thoughts right now about the yeah, aliens. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, you're good. So let's just uh, let's land this plane. Like, so what's a what's a what's a successful Christ in Classics podcast going to accomplish in terms of duration, how long it is, and and uh, and goals and structure? Sure. Uh, so I think we want to take what twenty-five minutes, maybe thirty minutes, to discuss um, a significant portion. I think with the Iliad, we'll do one book at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many books are there, Colton? Twenty-four. Um, twenty-four episodes of the Iliad coming at you <laughs> to uh, a podcast mm, player near you. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. So we'll we'll begin with a governing question for the text and, uh, you know, offer a lot of follow-up questions and just dialogue back and forth. And the hope is that we arrive somewhere, but sometimes you just get a, a more narrowly defined and clarified question. Um, and that's, that can still be successful, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll we'll be doing that. <clears throat> oh gosh, uh, what and, is um? Mm-hmm. So, sorry, David. Before you move on, what's the guy? Jacob Klein in mm-hmm. uh, from St. John's back in the seventies. He mm-hmm. you sent me a paper or a, a paper he he read that dealt with a discussion discussion as mm-hmm. means of learning something like that. And he and he says in the in the yeah. in these St. John's seminars, it's the goal isn't so much to answer the questions we raise. So much as it is to, he says, uh, if I can quote it, verbatim, to expand our intellectual horizons, basically mm. giving us a, a, a larger framework to answer more, to, to raise more questions and answer more questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he mm-hmm. defines learning as like that whole process of groping, trying to learn. Like, right. And, and like I, that, that's similar to what you're describing right now. And so I just thought I would just insert that. No, yeah, that's that's fantastic, um, and, and it is worth saying that uh, we, you know, whereas maybe 
some would say, well, there are no answers that you could possibly arrive at. We're not saying that. Mm, We do believe that there is a capital T truth, but our ability to get at it every time is going to be limited because we're finite and we're not God. And, uh, and that's okay. But uh, God has made us in his image and we delight in plumbing the depths that he permits. Mm, well said. Um, that's great. So our intended uh, goal then is, you know, to be further, further enlightened, our, our horizons expanded um, and to see how, uh, how in all these things, Christ is preeminent, uh, in a Colossians one sort of way. And, um, hopefully, you know, folks who are just maybe out there reading some of the great books, um, uh, in a homeschool setting or, or you're reading it with your school or you're a teacher and you're, you're teaching it for the first time or the or the fifth time or whatever. Uh, we hope that this might be of some encouragement to you. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe yeah. along the way, we'll have some special episodes with uh, friends who are like specialized in topics here and there, uh, or, or just side episodes talking about uh, teaching. But mm. the main idea is to Right to read the classics in light of the Christ. Mm, yeah, yeah, uh, Christ. I think our our um, a song that we really enjoy, our, a hymn that we really enjoy, is "Be Thou My Vision." And so that Christ would be our literally our vision um, uh, mm-hmm. as we as we look to these look at these books. We would look at them through the lens of of of, uh, of, of Christ. He would be our vision in that, mm-hmm. in that regard. Um, we need to get that hymn uh, recorded in like a rock and roll fashion where <laughs> it just rips into a solo right as the outro comes along. <laughs> oh, that would be rock. Oh, let me uh, let me just uh, talk with my buddy, uh, Micah, and uh, I-, I think we can get that going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Well, until next time, I guess we'll... Um... We'll mosey on over to Homer's Iliad, book one. If you listen to this and you got a copy of the Iliad, uh, read it. Read it this week and uh, join us. Join us next time and um, as we discuss Achilles' rage and the will of Zeus moving towards some end. Kind of a convoluted end, we'll see, mm. but an end nonetheless. Mysterious. Yes. Until then, let's rock. I'm- it's a great way to end it (laughs) yeah all right signing out signing out Waking or sleeping
thy presence, my.